Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 376 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. As I mentioned on Monday, I'm using this week to clear up some of the topics, the episode topics that I've had in my list of things that I want to talk about that uh, I haven't seemed to fit into the schedule over the last few weeks, but I really, really want to get to. And today we are carrying on that theme and we're talking about soil testing, testing our soil and working out what sort of soil we've got, how we adapt it to be the perfect soil that we need, etc, etc. So today I'm going to be going through five different soil tests that we can all do ourselves at home and almost all of them you'll be able to do today with stuff you've already got lying around the house. So let's get straight into it and I want to start with something called a soil stability test. So again this is something that we can all do at home with stuff that we've got lying around. All you're going to need is a container that you can put some water in, a clear container that you can see through that's going to be big enough to house a clump of soil suspended in the air. You're going to want some wire that you can basically make a little basket like a hammock that is going to rest across the top of our container and dip down into the water that's going to be able to hold our soil a clump of soil and suspend it in the water so you can literally just take a piece of chicken wire that you've got outside you might want to fold it over a couple of times so that the the holes aren't too big you want to overlap it two or three times and then place it over the top of your container so I used when I did this a vase a glass vase that was maybe six inches across the top and you just place your 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 mesh your wire across the top sag it down so that it dips down into the water and is going to suspend your clump of soil in the water and then go out into your garden get a clump of soil that is about a fistful golf ball size something like that you want to bring it in your house and then just leave it to dry out it's really important that you let it dry for a couple of days away from the elements and then when you're ready you want to fill up your your container with water and then place your soil in that hammock in that wire rack that you've made inside the water and let it just sit there in the water and just watch what happens because what will happen is that the the water is going to rush into the pores that are in that water. The, the same pores that would take the rainwater when it rains or when we water. And it's going to create pressures that's going to sort of break apart the soil. Now, when you initially put it in there, you're going to have the odd bits of dust and what have you fall away and fall to the bottom. That's fine. But we just want to wait until the whole chunk, the whole piece of soil has disintegrated and fallen through your rack and to the bottom of your glass. And you're going to want to time it. So when you put your soil in there, start your stopwatch and then see what happens. If your soil all falls down to the bottom in you know dusty little little particles within a minute then what you've got is 
poor soil stability. And if your clump of soil takes more than five minutes to fall apart and fall to the bottom of your container, you've got great soil stability. And then, of course, everything in between. So anything over a minute is okay. Anything over five minutes is great. And anything between the two is kind of you know, getting better as it goes up towards five minutes. And if it's under a minute, then it's really, really poor. Now, why is that important? Why is soil stability important? Well, this is your soil's ability to hold water and oxygen, because if your soil has good structure, good stability, it's creating lots of those pores that are going to hold their shape through the elements. When we water, when you get lots of wind, you're going to have less water runoff. It's going to be able to hold the moisture, but critically the oxygen as as well and that's what our roots need that's what roots need to develop into fantastic plants it's something a lot of people overlook is the requirement for oxygen at the roots of our plants so if that water and oxygen can be held and your soil is also going to be resistant to erosion and runoff then it's going to be much much better for our plants to grow and if we have poor soil structure how do we amend it well just like a lot of the soil amendments that we're going to talk about the best thing you can do is just add more organic matter and create over the long term more hummus hummus is what's left behind after the organic matter has broken down and delivered its nutrients into the ground hummus is what's left and uh, that is going to increase our soil stability now the organic Matter is also going to increase just the organic growth, the organic activity in our soil, and that includes fungal growth. And another part of increasing our soil stability is increasing that fungal growth because it's the fungal hyphae, those tiny, tiny bootlaces, as they're sometimes called, those little tiny strands of fungi that is going to add huge amounts of soil stability and again encourage that amazing environment that's going to hold water and oxygen and be resistant to runoff and erosion so that's how you test for and amend for soil stability now the next thing we're going to do is the earthworm test now we all know that the soil food web is really, really important for delivering the nutrients that our plants need. And I've done an episode all on the soil food web. So if it's not something you've heard of, it's not something you're familiar with, you might want to go and check that episode out. But the soil food web includes all of the activity, the microbial activity and organic activity and life that's in our soil below the ground. Microbes are incredibly important for healthy soil, but we can't really measure microbes unless we have a lab. I don't have a lab, but what we can do is measure earthworms. Now, microbes are earthworms favorite food and the more microbes you have the more earthworms you have and believe it or not if you've got a vermi composting system that's mostly what the earthworms are eating they're eating the microbes that are breaking down what you're feeding to your earthworms they're not eating the actual vegetables and things like that themselves they're eating the microbes that are on them that are doing the work so to do an earthworm test, it's really, really simple. We want to take a cubic foot of soil, a cubic foot of ground, or a cubic 30 centimetres in 
space in size. So 30 centimetres wide, 30 centimetres long and 30 centimetres deep or a foot. And you want to take that out. So with a spade, dig that clump of soil out and lay it out on some cardboard or some paper and then just break it all up and find all the earthworms and count them. It's that simple. And if you've got less than three earthworms per cubic foot, then that really is a sign that you've got a poor amount of life, a poor amount of microbial life. And if you've got more than 10 earthworms per cubic foot, then that's good. And obviously, it's a sliding scale in between those two. But the, the good news is that the solution, if you've got a poor amount of microbial life, if you've got a poor number of earthworms, is the same solution as for increasing soil stability. And that is just to add organic matter to your soil, add compost or wood chip mulch or anything that's going to break down organic matter organic matter organic matter is the answer because again it's in the breaking down of these substrates and in the processing of them into soil is what's going to increase the activity in your soil increase that organic life that life that's really the the crux of healthy healthy soil and that's going to encourage more earthworms or the earthworms that you already have to multiply because the number of earthworms you have will multiply up to what the system will healthily support the next test that we're going to do is a ph test now this is the only thing that you will probably have to purchase some equipment for but they're really readily available really quite simple the one we use is just a really simple electronic device with a spike at the bottom and you put the spike in the ground and it measures the ph of your soil now the pH, what that means is it tells you how acidic or alkaline your soil is. And the pH range ranges from 1 to 14. And 1 is really, really acidic. It's as acidic as you can get. And 14 is really, really alkaline. It's as alkaline as you get. Now, we're not ever going to get anywhere near those extremes in our garden, one would hope. But we also, we want to be really in the middle. So just very very slightly on the acidic side so a pH of 7 is completely neutral or I think it might be 7.4 I can't remember from my science days at school but it's either 7 or 7.4 I think is neutral but that doesn't matter to us what matters to us is what our soil is now when we do our test our um, pH test in our soil we're going to get a reading and you're going to want to do that reading and this applies to all of the tests actually to the earthworm counting to the soil stability test you might want to for a more accurate result do it at various parts of your garden to take a sort of average so when you get your results back what you're aiming for in your vegetable garden for most vegetables is a pH of six to seven now a pH in that range anywhere between six and seven is going to be about right perfect for most of our vegetable beds the uh, there are a few exceptions things like blueberries they're they're the quintessential exception because they're the ones people always bring up and i always bring up because they want a really acidic soil they're going to want a soil much closer to 4.3 to 5.5 is the ideal soil for blueberries but anything in that range is going to be a little bit too acidic to get the best growth from the rest of our vegetable crops and that's why we grow our blueberries in pots but 
If you've got soil that is slightly more acidic, then you're going to want to consider some soil amendments to make them more alkaline and the same the other way around. There's all sorts of different methods of doing that. So what we do here, we've actually used apple cider vinegar, just a really small amount, because you, what you don't want to do is make massive sudden changes to your soil pH. It's something you want to change over time very, very gradually. But you can use a little bit of apple cider vinegar to reduce the pH of your soil. We've done that in our blueberry pots you can also use lime and add lime to your soil to make it more alkaline now i've mentioned before that the perfect range for most vegetables is between six and seven uh, but they're okay you can grow perfectly reasonable vegetables in anything from about 5.5 to 7.5 so it's really when you're outside of these ranges that you're going to want to really seriously consider making some amendments to your soil to change the ph levels Another thing to consider when you're doing all of these tests is the time of year and you might want to do it just at the start or the end of the growing season. So not in the middle of winter, not in the middle of summer, because during these periods, some of our results can change slightly because our soil is at its driest or wettest or it's frozen. So you're going to want to get it at a more sort of standard period in its life. The next test that we're going to do, really, really simple, and again, everyone can do this at home, is a compaction test. Now, this ties into some of the other things we've already spoken about. Now, the main one that I want to talk about when we're talking about the compaction test is the oxygen in the water, in the soil, rather. We're not talking about fish, we're talking about plants. So we're talking about soil. The oxygen in the soil and its ability to hold that oxygen. So we mentioned this when we talked about the st soil stability test, but it's the same with the compact compaction test. The more soil gets compacted, the less room there is, the less air holes there is, to take up and hold that air, but also the moisture. In an ideal world, your soil makeup wants to be about a quarter air, a quarter water, and then the rest be the soil. Now, we all know that by walking on our vegetable beds or anywhere else, we create compaction by running machinery like tractors or lawnmowers in areas, we're going to create compaction. That's why if you've got a lawn, one of the reasons why your lawn might struggle a little bit in the areas that get so much traffic, even if you stop walking on it, is because that soil is so much more compacted. And we can do a really, really easy compaction test by just taking a wire coat hanger. So what you want is a piece of wire. It doesn't have to be a wire coat hanger, but a wire coat hanger I think is perfect. You're going to want a piece of wire that's fairly stiff, but will move if you sort of wiggle it around. It's got some give in it because that's our test. When we push it down into the soil, we're going to push it down until it starts bending. And when it starts bending, that's when we stop. And we're going to measure the distance that we get down into the soil. If we get down say two inches, five centimetres, we're going to say that's really quite compacted soil. That's poor soil insofar as compaction. And if we get down to 20 centimetres or eight inches, that's great soil. That's really good, really well uncompacted soil. So, and of course, anywhere in between, we've got that sliding scale. So, we're going to want to, again, take this measurement in several areas over a patch of argon. We're going to be want to be aware of a few things that might alter this as well. If you've got stony ground, that's going to stop our wire going in. So if you think that you've hit a stone, maybe take the test somewhere else and just keep doing it until you've got two or three results that you can take an average for. So 
again, the beauty of the soil compaction is that there's some several easy ways to mitigate against it. We're going to want to consider creating paths, not walking where we're growing our vegetables any more than we have to. And again, adding organic matter and building up that soil is another way of creating a better soil that's less compacted. So again, the, 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 another thing you want to consider when you're doing this is the time of year and also how much rain you've had. Because if you've got really, really dry weather like we've got here in the UK at the moment, it's probably not the best time to do a soil compaction test. You want to do it a couple of days after some heavy rain or right at the start of spring when the ground is still nice and moist. That's when you want to do your compaction tests. And again, like I say, you're aiming for uncompacted soil. And if we get down to 20 centimetres, 80 inches or more then that's looking pretty good the last soil test that we can do at home with no special equipment we're just going to want to take a jam jar and we're going to want to take some of our soil and we're going to want to fill our jam jar about two-thirds a half to two-thirds full and then top it up with water leaving a couple of centimeters or an inch at the top so that we can shake it all around put your lid on your jam jar and then shake it like crazy for a long time turn it upside down make sure that every piece of soil that you've got is dissolved into that water you've got no lumps left and then just place the jam jar on the side on your kitchen side and let it sit start your timer and away you go now after one minute what will have happened is all the sand in your soil which is the heaviest element in it is going to have settled to the bottom so take a marker pen and put a line on the side of your jar and that's going to tell you how much sand you've got in your soil the next thing to settle is going to be silt so we're going to leave it now one hour and after one hour all of the silt should have settled and we can make another line at the top of that silt and then finally because the clay particles are smallest and they're lightest they're going to be the final ones to settle we're going to wait 24 hours and then at this point all of the clay should have settled and we make a third mark on the side of our jar and then what we've got basically is three lines up the side of our jar we can empty our jar and wash it out so we can see those lines nice and clearly and then you're going to want to do a bit of maths you're going to want to measure them and turn that into a percentage so I can talk you through how to do that but uh, if you're unsure there's lots of ways online you can work out how to do that just by entering in your measurements a little bit of googling will help you if you if you struggle to follow the maths here it's not that complicated but uh, we'll, we'll go through it now and hopefully it's uh, okay for everyone to work out so you're going to want to measure them in millimeters because if you try and do it in inches the math doesn't quite work out so well so measure them in millimeters and measure your three distances and write them down in that order so you've got your your sand first so your sand might be 15 millimeters your silt might be 10 centimeters 10 millimeters and your clay might be 20 millimeters so what we need to do now is work out a total so we add them all together 15 plus 10 plus 20 is 45 so we've got 45 millimetres in total. And then all we do is we do a quick bit of maths and we divide our number, our millimetre for each measurement, by the total times by 100. So for the sand, we would go 15 millimetres divided by 40 times 100. And that will give you your percentage. For your silt, you would do 10 millimetres divided by 40 times 100. That would give you your percentage and the same for clay. And then what you can do is go online and there's a fantastic diagram. Just Google 
soil test triangle or any word similar to that or soil type triangle and you'll get a triangle come up and then on each of the three sides one side says sand one side says silt one side says clay and you just work along from the measurements which run up the side of the triangle so if you've got 45 percent sand you run up to 45 percent sand you put in whatever percent clay you've got and you join the two together and it tells you what type of soil you've got whether you've got clay silt sandy loam whatever it is you might might have and i assure you this might sound complicated but it's incredibly simple when you come to actually do it and uh, you can use that then as information for what crops are best suited to your soil but also how you might treat your soil in the future do you want to maybe add some sand to your soil dig some sand in or introduce some sand to your mulching regiment to move your soil in that direction or whatever it might be perhaps you might even want to add some clay to your soil if you're on a very sandy site but that's the last bit of soil testing that we can do at home without using expensive soil testing kits where you need to send them away and hopefully that will help you understand your soil a little bit better so that's five different soil tests that you can do at home to help understand amend and improve your soil that's it for today guys um just a quick mention that on friday we'll be giving away gardening hints and tips more than 2,000 ingenious solutions to everyday problems in and around the garden by pippa greenwood that will be given away to a patron on friday thanks ever so much for listening and i'll speak to you really soon cheers this episode of the self-sufficient hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons you guys are awesome if you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face to face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.